Hey everybody, good morning, and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in, uh, glad you've joined us. All right, before I get started, if you have kids or grandkids, do not miss next Saturday. Uh, next Saturday, we are having a fall festival here at the Hudson campus. It's the second time we've done this, and uh, it is great. Um, if you've ever taken your kids to a pumpkin patch or to a corn maze to kind of usher in autumn, uh, this is the event to come to. Uh, let, me, let me just read off what was sent to me when I asked for a description of it. Uh, it's from 11 to 2. The event is free. Uh, these are the activities. A petting zoo, inflatables, face painting, balloon artist, water balloon launch, maze, carnival games, prizes, photo booth, craft tent, hill slide, lunch is free, snacks are free, popcorn, cotton candy, and popsicles. All right. Uh, we want this not just to be something for our church family. We'd like this to be a gift to the community. So invite your friends, invite neighbors, invite people who are around just to come and enjoy, particularly if it's a beautiful day, you will not want to miss it. So bring your kids. All right, that's next week. All right, this is the second week of our 10-week series on the book of Ephesians. Oh, and I am loving uh, the little book, Ephesians, together. I used it this week for my quiet time with God. It really just helped me soak in the truth of last week. I think it will help you too. And I, I, am, I just want you to know I'm pretty critical of Bible studies because sometimes they're too obvious and it's just kind of fill in the blank and sometimes it's too ambiguous. I don't know what they're asking for. Uh, this is really, really well done. And so uh, I know we ran out. We sold out of books last week. We, have, we ordered 500 more. So if you want to pick up one of those books, you can use it throughout the week uh, to kind of settle in the truth that you hear, but you can also bring it and use it for sermon notes if you are a note taker, all right? Last week, we did the first half of chapter one. This week, we're going to do the second half. The second half of chapter one is a prayer, and it's one of two great prayers in the book of Ephesians. The other one is in chapter three, which we will cover in three weeks. Uh, I want you to pick one of those prayers, either one, and begin to pray it every day or at least once a week for yourself, for your family, for your friends, and for our church. I've been praying this prayer we're going to go over today uh, all week. I've been praying it for myself, and I've been praying it for my family, I've been praying it for you guys. Uh, let's begin to pray for each other. If you are, are unfamiliar with prayer, this is a great way to learn how to pray. Pray these prayers. All right. Let's go ahead and look at it now. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. You can open up your Bible or the app or you can wait for it to come up on the screen. I'm going to read verses 15 through 23. So what Paul writes. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word. It is magnificent and it is true. All right, the prayer doesn't really start until verse 16 and 17, but I want to say a couple of things about verse 15. In verse 15, Paul starts out by giving a little bit of a test of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, It's a two-part test. He says, uh, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Those are the two things that Paul heard about these people, and he knew from that that they were followers of Jesus, that they were Christians. He says, your your faith in the Lord Jesus, what you believe about Jesus. And I say that's important, particularly right now in this day and age, because there are an awful lot of people who say, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you love people, as long as you treat people right. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never never separates your belief from your behavior and says if you behave right, that's good and that's what makes you a Christian. It's always what you believe, particularly what you believe about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And Paul said, the first thing I heard about you that convinced me that you were a Christian was what you believe about Jesus, who he is, what he's done. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, and your love for all the saints. Saints is a word that the Bible uses not for super Christians, but for just any Christians. Any person who's a follower of Jesus, according to Paul, is a saint. All right, so you're a saint if you're a follower of Jesus. And he says, your love for all the saints. And he uses, he says that because there are some people who will say, it doesn't matter how I treat people, it just matters that what I believe is right. And Paul says, no. No, you demonstrate what you believe by how you love each other. And he says all the saints, which means you don't just love people who are like you, you love people who are different than you. And Mike Halwerda uh, said it really well last Sunday night when we had our all-community group meeting. He talked about sitting next to people in this church who may not look like you or dress like you or talk like you or vote like you. If there is ever a time where the world needs to be able to look inside a church and see people who are unified, who love each other despite their differences because of Jesus, it's now. Let's be that church. So that's the way Paul starts. And then he gets to the prayer, and he starts like this. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul prays that these people would understand and know God better. Out of all the things that he could pray for, I just think that's interesting. Because I'm assuming they had great needs. I mean, I just know of some of the needs that are represented here in this congregation. And I only know a fraction of the needs, and there are some really significant needs here. And if I said, I am going to pray for you, 
There would be a lot of different things I could pray for. And I was thinking, what are what the needs were in Ephesus 2,000 years ago? And I was thinking, uh, 100 years ago, here in the United States, the average life expectancy was 47 for a man, for an American man. Which means that if you were in your 40s back in, the ni- in 1900, you were an old man about to cash in your chips. Fifty years before that, chloroform was making its debut in the Civil War as anesthesia. Before chloroform, anesthesia was a stick that you would bite on, no matter how much pain you were in. And I think if that's true just 200 years ago here, what was it like 2,000 years ago in Ephesus? What kind of needs did they have? What kind of pain were they in? What kind of brokenness was in their community? And out of all the things that Paul could pray about, Paul says, this is what I pray for, that you would know God better. Because what Paul is saying is he's praying this prayer that is to be the prayer above all prayers, the prayer to answer every prayer, not just that you have right now, but that you will ever have. Because no matter what your prayers are right now, if you knew God better, it would change the way you're living right now and how you view what you need. Then Paul gets specific, and he names three things, which I love because, you know, I love three things. And so these are our three points for today. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul says, if I could pray one thing for you, I would pray that you would know God better. And this is what I want you to know. I want you to know the hope of your calling. I want you to know the riches of his inheritance. And I want you to know the greatness of his power. If you know those three things, it will change everything about you. It will give you a new hope. Right? First, he prays that you would know the hope of your calling. He says that he, he wants the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. And that means that you will begin to become light sensitive. Like you'll go through your day and, you, and different things will kind of spark and you'll remember this. You'll, you'll be reminded and think, oh yeah, this is the truth that I'm supposed to be thinking of that will actually change me. So he says, the hope of your calling, what exactly is that? One of my um, majors in college was psychology, and I still remember certain things about what I was taught. And one of the things I remember is how important your name is to you, and how when you hear your name, Uh, Your brain can filter out all the other noise because you can hear your name being said or being called from a long way away. Or even, they they actually called this the cocktail effect, uh, which was because they tested it like in a cocktail party kind of atmosphere where everybody's talking, you know, there's this din of noise, and then they would have somebody across the room say your name in just a regular conversational volume, and they said people could hear it. Like they'd be talking and they'd be hearing all this noise and then somebody would say their name and their brain would filter out everything else and they would hear their name being called. So they'd go, wait, did somebody somebody want me? My name's Joe Coffey, right? So in Starbucks, I'm like a gazelle. You know, I'm like, (laughs) what? Wait, somebody, 
who's, who's talking about me, right? The, what does it mean to have, to have the hope of your calling? What is Paul talking about? Last week we talked about adoption and the wonder of adoption. And we, uh, the verse for this week that we were to memorize was chapter 1, verse 5, where Paul says, In love he predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In love he adopted us. I saw this video this week. It's a video of a little girl. This girl, I'm going to show it to you in a minute. Let me give you a little background. This girl was in foster care for 1,128 days. Now, I'll say that again. This girl was in foster care for 1,128 days. And what you're going to see is the, the people who are with her uh, on this video uh, have just been told that they were able to, that their adoption of her went through. And it happens to be her birthday. And it's not just for her, it's for her brother and her sister. They adopted all three. But this is the last present they are giving her on her birthday. And she doesn't know that her adoption has come through. And I just want you to watch how she responds and how they respond to this. All right, well, there's one more gift. We have one more it's gift. It's not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you careful open it up. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. I love you so much. I love you. I love uh, watching the crowd as that happens because I just see this all the time. Why the power? Why the power of emotion, not just for them, but for us? And what you had just seen is the hope of, of her calling. Right? She had people who said, I know you. I know your name. I know you, I want you, I love you, I choose you. That's what adoption is. Paul says, if I could pray anything for you in the midst of whatever you're going through, I would pray this, that every time you hear your name, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, would be light-sensitive, so every time you hear your name, you are reminded of the sweetness that Jesus knows you, that he wants you, that he loves you, and that he chooses you. Paul says, I want you to know the hope of his calling. And then he goes on to the second thing, and he says, I want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That is a great thing, but it's a little bit strange in the way it's worded, right? It's a little awkward. Why didn't he say your glorious inheritance for the saints or to the saints? Why does he say your glorious inheritance in the saints? Why does he use that preposition? There might be a couple of reasons, but he could be saying one of two things. He could be saying, listen, you are God's inheritance or God is your inheritance. Or he might be saying both. I think he's saying both. Because there are different places in the Bible where, where God speaks about you and about me as if we are his treasure, as if we are the apple of his eye. And there is something absolutely breathtaking about the God of the universe seeing you as his treasure. But there's also different parts of the Bible where it talks about us being rich in God and having an inheritance in him. So I think Paul might be trying to communicate two things. One is how precious you are to God and how rich you are in God. And I'm going to focus on that second thing, how rich you are in God. What exactly is this inheritance? Wait, question before that question. What makes a good inheritance? What would you like as an, if you could, if you could write down, your, let's say, all right, let's say this. If uh, you got a call from an attorney who said you have a long lost uncle, you never knew you, know, you, you never knew you had, and he has died, and he was fabulously wealthy, and he has written you into his will, but the weird part is you need to come into my office, and I'm going to give you an index card, and you write down the number you want, and then you'll get it. What would you write down? <laughs> would you go in and go, could you define fabulously wealthy? <laughs> and then you write down, whatever number you'd write down, you would try to write down a number that would be more than you would ever need in this lifetime. That's a good inheritance. Paul says, I want you to know, and if, you, if you're in line to get that kind of inheritance in real life, then good for you. That should change the way you live right now, that you know that is coming. Paul says, I want you to know the riches of your inheritance. What is that inheritance he's talking about? Last week, the first verse we covered was this. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That sounds good, right? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If there are spiritual blessings, I want every one of them, right? I want them all. But it still sounds wispy, doesn't it? Let me ask you this. You don't, don't respond, though this is a rhetorical question. I don't want you to raise your hand. If you could choose between having every spiritual blessing in heavenly places and having an, an earthly inheritance right now that would be more than you could ever need in this lifetime, which would you choose? Some of us would go, that's hard. Let me try to explain what every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is, though. Let's go back to Genesis. So God creates the world and all that is in the world. He creates uh, all the land. He creates all the gold, all the silver. He creates uh, all the animals, all the fruit trees, everything, all the riches of the earth. He creates, and then he creates Adam and Eve in his own image. Then almost like a wedding gift, he says, close your eyes. Now open them. It's for you. 
I give you all the riches of the entire earth. And then uh, when Adam and Eve rebelled, something happened. When they sinned. You know, remember last week I told you there's a, a meta narrative, there's this overarching story to the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's like a play that happens in four acts creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The fall is when everything breaks. And one of the things that breaks is that from that moment on, the human experience is that we try to grasp things and it's like, it's like holding sand in our fists and we slowly watch things slip away. And that's the human experience for every single human being. You watch your, your youth slip away. Everyone loses the battle to age. You watch your your health slip away. You watch your relationships slip away to your, your relationship with your parents or with your, your siblings or with your spouse or with your children. If you live long enough, you will, you will see everything in your life, everything that's precious to you slip away. That's just true. That's the human experience. I'm going to stop there because <laughs> it makes us so sad. <laughs> the restoration of all things, is your inheritance. When you receive back not just everything that has slipped away, but when you receive back everything you ever really wanted. What is it that you have ever really hungered for? What is it that you want more than anything? Love? Joy? Security? Peace? When Jesus says, that, when God says there are heavenly uh, blessings waiting for you, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He's talking not just about things, about things you can have. He's talking about who you are, that who you are will be restored. You will be absolutely healthy for the first time, body, soul, and spirit, and you will have everything, not just that you have lost, but everything you ever really wanted. And Paul says, if I could pray one thing for you in the midst of whatever you're going through, if you could know the hope of your calling, if you could know the sweetness of what it means that Jesus knows you, wants you, loves you, chooses you, and if you could know the, the riches of your inheritance, that Jesus has, re, has redeemed you in such a way that everything will be restored to you, that will change the way you live right now. And finally, he says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all all in all. The last thing Paul prays that you would know the greatness of his power. But he uses a particular illustration for power. Now, there are all kinds of ways you can illustrate power. Most of the ways that you illustrate power is to use something that has destructive power. I mean, there is something that's happening very powerfully on the East Coast right now, North and South Carolina. It's, it's the tropical storm Florence, right? There's hardly anything more powerful than wind and water when they combine. It has the power to take away everything someone has. And we're watching it 
on TV. I remember going uh, to Sri Lanka back in 2004 after the tsunami. And I flew down there to see what our church could do to try to help that country. And I was flying in a little plane, and as we got close to the coast where the tsunami had hit, about three miles away from the coast, it looked like everything had just been wiped clean. Every building, every house, everything wiped clean. The power of wind and rain is the power to take away everything that you have. And then the power of death is even more. That great theologian, Clint Eastwood, said, (laughs) "Um, if you're... If you're a Clint Eastwood fan, which I am, every movie he's got one really memorable line. In the movie Unforgiven, he says when he's describing what it means to kill a man, he says when you kill a man, you take away everything he has and everything he ever will have. And the only thing stronger than the destructive power of death is the power of the resurrection. And that's what Paul uses. Paul says that you would know the immeasurable greatness of his power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. The only thing more powerful than destruction, the the ability to take away everything you have is the ability to give you everything that you lost plus everything you ever wanted. The only thing powerful, more powerful than death is the, the power to give you life and to give it to you forever. You know, when I think of the, the biblical character that really probably understood this prayer more than anyone. I always think of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus, uh, in John chapter 11, he dies. He's been dead for four days. Jesus goes, and he calls him out of the grave, right? He raises him from the dead. He does it by calling his name. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave, and he lives again. Now, we don't, I don't know how long he lived from that from when he came out of the grave to when he died again. But I always wonder what, what Lazarus 2.0 was really like. How would you rattle him? Would, would he be worried about the same things that you and I worry about? I think if he talked to Lazarus, he would say, I know what it sounds like to hear him call my name. I know what that sounds like. I know I have, I have caught a glimpse of the, of the immeasurable richness of my inheritance. Everything I ever wanted is waiting for me. And I know the greatness of his power that raised me from the dead to life. I think Lazarus was the one guy, when it came time for him to die, he folded his hands and he smiled and he longed for that moment because he knew the moment that things went quiet here, he would hear that familiar voice call his name. Call his name. Paul says, I want to pray a prayer for you. I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for each other. And then he prays a prayer to cover all the prayers for whatever you're going through right now. He prays that you would know the hope of your calling, that you would know the sweetness. Every time you would hear your name, you would be reminded of the sweetness of what it means to be known by Jesus, to be wanted, to be loved, to be chosen. And then he says, what the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, 
so that you'd be reminded even in the midst of losing things right now, that you'd be reminded that you have an inheritance not just of everything you've lost, but everything you ever really wanted. And that you would understand the greatness of his power. The greatness of his power over every single thing in your life. The power of life to swallow up death. The the power of healing to swallow up brokenness. The power of forgiveness to swallow all your sin. Pray that prayer. Pray that prayer for yourself for your family, for your friends, for our church. Ephesians together, right? Transformed, 2018. Would you bow your heads as I pray this prayer for you? For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen.